2: Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Morgan Brennan at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. The jobs number for July, nine hundred and forty-three thousand. That's the biggest gain since August of twenty twenty, uh, with some positive revisions. Unemployment down to five four. That's a post-pandemic low. And bonds are reacting. Ten-year now above one two eight. Really interesting stuff going on here. David, as it does appear that, well, at least more chatter that maybe that. 112 on the 10-year, that double bottom of the July 20 low. That would have huge implications.
0: Yep, Uh, as you point out, exactly. 112 is sort of where we were. Of course, the inflation um, debate rages, uh, will continue for quite some time. This will do nothing to uh, sort of snuff it out. I mean, we lost 22.4 million jobs in March and April 2020. Morgan, we've uh, recovered about 16.7 million of them so far. uh, The 943,000 number, of course, was above estimates. Hours worked. uh, Looks pretty good. And wage gains, uh, pretty significant. We're at least above 5 percent year over year.
4: Yeah. Labor participation, though, still stubbornly stuck at 61.7 percent. And also, we did see those upward revisions in terms of job gains for both June and May. I think speaking to the fact that more people have been coming back to the to the to the labor market than perhaps had been previously anticipated. Though, as you mentioned, we still have millions of people that are out of work. Um, gains in leisure and hospitality: three hundred eighty thousand positions for the month, of which two hundred fifty three and came in at bars and restaurants, which, again, also speaks to the fact they were seeing reopening, also for schools and public education on the local level, too.
2: Yeah, you can obviously see uh, the impact on futures uh, minute by minute over the last uh, half hour or so. Uh, NASDAQ did take a bit of a ding, as the emphasis is clearly going to be on some risk on, uh, some value over growth, some reopening trades uh, coming alive once again. And then, of course, there's the argument about What the Fed says about this in the Mm -hmm. uh, coming days and weeks. Jackson Hole, of course, right around the corner, David, uh, is taper now even more of a certainty as we have not just the likes of Bullard arguing for a faster taper, but now some high-profile senators weighing in. uh, Joe Manchin yesterday saying, uh, look, inflation is a risk.
0: Yeah, Manchin's comments certainly getting a lot of focus. You know, looking at uh, Peter Bookborough always puts a note out right afterwards saying, the Federal Reserve has run out of excuses in keeping QE full speed ahead. You're certainly going to be hearing a good deal about those that in particular in terms of QE and why we continue at this point.
4: Yeah. I mean, you just look at the housing market, right, to that point, And what we've seen, it's been on fire. And yes, you can talk about years-long inventory shortages that are coming to a head now. But just in general, to see home prices, now you see rent prices. And again, it goes right back to that inflation debate, because when you see increases uh, in terms of those living expenses, those are much stickier the way it, wage increases are, too, for example, versus some of the more transitory things like commodity prices.
2: Uh, indeed. And then it might actually give us a little more of an eye opener on whether or not those states that ended uh, the unemployment supplement uh, ended up sending out some more resumes. We've seen data go back and forth, yep. talked about it a bit with Jim yesterday, but maybe this is an answer to that.
4: It, yeah, it's, it's certainly been a date, debate now. Of course, we've got that wrench around Delta and the fact that COVID cases are increasing and what that's going to look like going into the fall as well. So for more on the market's response to today's jobs numbers, we're going to bring in Diane Swank, Chief Economist at Grant Thornton, and David Kelly, Chief Global Strategist at JPMorgan Asset Management. Good morning to you both. Diane, want to get your initial reaction to the report we saw this morning, as well as the fact that we are seeing upward revisions for the last couple of months as well and and how it speaks to the strength, maybe stronger than previously expected strength of the labor market here.
5: Yeah, it's terrific. And it does actually put the Fed into taper mode. They need to see August, which is, of course, the Delta month. That said, that where the delta variant has had the worst spread is areas where we have seen less job search than areas that didn't have as much vacc that had higher vaccine rates but that is going to be the big determinant they even the most dovish on um, the fed weller the fed, governor weller has already argued that these kinds of job games two months of them in july and august would be enough to justify the tapering talk for september announcement and i think that's what we're going to be focused on this opens the door to that there is There's a couple things that are important in the nuances of the data. Yes, we did see a slight tick up in the participation rate. We saw some drawdown in those long-term unemployed still elevated, but that was good news because people are stepping up and showing up to be hired. But on the other side of it, the places where we saw participation rate actually recede a bit and still on the sidelines were blacks and black and Hispanic women. Those were the hardest hit workers early on, the most marginalized. And this is what Chairman Powell has been talking about, needing to have a really hot economy to bring those workers who are the most marginalized out there back into the fold.
4: David, wanna get your thoughts on what this means for the markets here and not just equities, but as Carl mentioned before, the fact that we're seeing the yield on the 10-year creep higher too.
6: Yes, and I mean they're, and they're still extraordinarily low. I mean, if you look at uh, the 10-year TIPS market going into this, we were at -1.1% in real terms. So we've got very, very low bond deals, and frankly they're offside here. Uh, the economy is recovering. Yes, I get it that the virus is mutating, but you know what? The economy is mutating, it's adapting also. We're finding ways hmm. of growing back, recovering through this pandemic. I expect that the August numbers will be more challenging because of Delta, but then Delta will diminished somewhat. And I think this reopening is keeping going. And, and we're, you know, we're growing at, you know, some, somewhere north of five, six percent in real GDP terms. We're growing about three times as fast as the long-term trend growth rate of the U.S. economy. So we're barreling towards full employment here. And we really need to get to a more normal place in terms of monetary policy. So for markets, it's positive for equities, uh, but I think there's very much rotation from growth to value. I think it's a, it's a time when you've got to really look at valuations because interest rates won't be this low for that much longer.
4: Hmm. Diana, I'm curious. We can talk about the Fed and what the monetary response is going to be to to the data we've gotten, including this morning's report. But how about the fiscal response as we see this infrastructure deal uh, being hashed out right now in the Senate and then, of course, that three and a half trillion dollar package behind it?
5: Yeah. As far as those go, we do see even with those in place, you, it takes a long time to get infrastructure projects up and running. And frankly, we're marking down our forecast because much of the stimulus dollars weren't actually spent that were allocated, um, sadly, a lot of it for rent. And so some of those things aren't showing up that were actually allocated. So the fiscal stimulus is not as much as we thought, but then it's being shifted out a little further. The CBO has marked up the infrastructure package saying it will add two hundred and fifty. $6 billion over the next 10 years to the deficit. That's pretty small in the sort of scheme of things, given what we've been through. But I think it's important. important point that David made is that we are barreling towards full employment. And that is something that we do have to think about. I am worried about more of a boom-bust cycle now, given how slow the Fed has been, to deal with the taper situation with its asset purchases and what could be it is deliberately allowing the economy to reopen we want that to happen but i think the heat is going to linger a little bit you noted earlier the residual effects in shelter costs as we get into next year and i think we're going to have a little more residual heat that the fed is going to have to deal with which could set us up for more of a boom bust cycle and that's what i'm worried about now
2: ah, that's interesting uh, david your point about Uh, businesses learning to live with the virus with the variant at least is interesting because there is a growing sense that uh, if anything it's going to delay our recovery not reverse it but there's ongoing discussion about the impact on say Asia and how that impacts supply chain difficulties and hence inflation especially as it pertains to autos and semiconductors how much do you worry about that?
6: Well, it is having an impact right now. I mean, you know, the reason growth wasn't strong in the second quarter is because really we're not producing vehicles. I mean, we've got we're down to 35 days worth of sales. Now, that has slowed the economy right now. But again, I think businesses will adapt. I think, uh, you know, every automaker is scrambling for chips um, and there are ways of producing them, the ways of finding them. So I suspect that those. Those ch- supply chains will get knitted together again, uh, despite the Delta variant. I think we'll find ways of doing this. And that means a big inventory rebuild. And while I agree with Diane that fiscal is, is going to be a little weaker than it's been so heretofore, I do think you're going to see a big inventory rebuild adding to growth um, going forward. So you know, the economy adapted all the way through this pandemic. It's adapting now. And I just think we've got to watch the speed and the heat that this economy is creating.
0: Diana, I want to just uh, drill down briefly on your boom bust cycle idea. I mean, what's going to get you particularly concerned then? If we don't see QE come off anytime soon, or what else?
5: Well, that is certainly one of them. I think the other issue is, David makes a really good point, I expect a rebuilding of inventories as well. I also know home builders out there who have been unable to get appliances through their wholesalers who are going into Home Depot and buying them retail. That is giving the supply chain something we've not seen in a long time, and that's the impetus that orders are even stronger than what they are right now. And so that could actually Cause a more of a bullwhip kind of situation in inventories, which pushes up economic activity, and then we have a bit of a more crash as we find out demand isn't quite as strong on the other side of it. Another factor that I think is really important out there is the decoupling we've seen Delta do. It's dividing the world between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And although I agree with David that we are learning to live with it, clearly in the developing world, the develop uh, developed world, the developing world has struggled with this, and I worry that variants are going to disrupt supply chains more. And in a world with more disruptions to supply than demand, that could be more of an inflationary kind of world where the Fed has to react more to it and create that an overshoot, risk overshooting on raising interest rates and having to actually extinguish inflation, something they've not had to do in decades.
4: We could just do an entire second segment focused on supply chain issues and inventory rebuilds and what all of that is going to mean for the markets moving forward. But we're going to leave the conversation there for now. Diana, David, thank you for joining us this morning.
2: Thanks. We got to touch on the roller coaster ride that has become Robinhood, the stock rebounding this morning in the pre-market after tumbling yesterday on that news of a filing to sell shares. But thanks to that midweek surge, Robinhood is still up more than 45 percent since last week's public debut. We actually Started the week, guys, at 35, went to 85 on Wednesday, closed at 51 last night, and clearly going to get a little bit back uh, this morning, judging from the pre-market. But, David, I mean, it's it's hyper volatility.
0: It really is one of the stranger uh, uh, initial uh, public offerings we've seen in terms of at least aftermarket price. Of course, remember, it broke syndicate bid right away, right away. It was not a uh, particularly well-bid syndicate, uh, and... um, and then it's just been, as Carl just said, uh, all over the map. Uh, of course, it's become a meme stock. Didn't it? first. Then it did a few days later, this during the course of this week. And then insiders took the opportunity watching what they printed. It printed as high as 85, I think, at one point to say, hey, maybe now's a good time to, to get us some shares, at least mm-hmm. to the extent that we can. 98 million, let's call it, uh, filed to sell. Um, but, Morgan, um, hope springs eternal, I guess, amongst the, the memesters in particular.
4: Yeah, I mean, as we, said, as we said earlier this week, the meme mania goes meta, right? Um, but I do think it's very telling, and I realize that insiders are still hanging on to positions in the stock, but the fact that they are able to sell some of, some of those shares and are actually actively looking to do so uh, is very telling when you see the stock trading at these levels and all the questions there were about valuations even before it went public as well. So it's certainly going to be one to watch, especially as more analysts initiate coverage, too. Yeah,
2: It'd be interesting to see how it, you know, where we actually settle Mm -hmm. over the long term. And and I think to Jim's earlier point, how much you take off the table if you're still looking at a gain from IPO day, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, And, you know, we always try and keep an eye on some of the other um, so-called mean stocks, uh, GMB and AMC, certainly amongst them, which are both still hanging in there.
2: And, and by the way, AMC reports Monday. Yeah. And I know Jim wants to hear what Adam Aaron's going to bring to the yeah, call. Yeah.
0: You know, I think I know. Um, Adam, it's uh, sort of indicated he might be willing to come on. So, Adam, uh, public invitation here. If you want to come on after earnings, we'd love to hear from you. CEO of AMC. Yeah. Uh, so save me a phone call. Yeah.
5: <laughs>
4: Join right. us. It's, yeah. our
2: main, it's our main avenue of communication. Yeah, why not? It's just <laughs> on the show. Exactly.
4: <laughs> All right. Well, last night was the fourth episode of Jeopardy! featuring David as guest host. Take a listen to one of the highlights.
0: We turn now to our champion, Matt Amodio, uh, who came in with 23,000. What did you write down? You crossed out Mount Rushmore and wrote in the correct response. What is the Hoover Dam? Of course, the former president was quite unpopular due to the Depression. And what did you wager? You wagered $3,000, and that takes you to a one-day total of 26000 You are a Jeopardy! champion.
4: It's been a very exciting week.
0: It is. You know, Matt is now a, a many-days champion. Of course, people, I hope, will tune in for my final night uh, and see whether he can continue. What's been a, a great run, he's moving quickly up the leaderboard of all-time Uh, winningest uh, contestants, he did seem to learn a bit about Final Jeopardy. Remember the game before, he went 37,000, and I watched his potential winnings go from, what, almost 80,000 to 6,200. That was painful, of course, from the charity that would also have gotten matched as a result of uh, if he had actually won. But last night, he only went with 3,000. But he's quite a champion uh, and getting quite a large following online as well. Are you guys in touch? Only via Twitter really yeah uh, I have he has been um, tweeting and uh, and occasionally at me and so I have uh, communicated with him yes. that way otherwise no
2: it kind of makes you wonder uh, historically wh- how much the host gets involved or establishes relationships with the at least the high profile contestants
0: yeah I mean listen uh, you know we uh, we did we we'll obviously have done five uh, shows together you do get to know somebody yeah. uh, in a way that you certainly don't from the contestants who come and go so quickly so Uh, There is, but there isn't much chance. That show is just so tight. You know, the the banter at the end when they're running the credits, that's basically the only (laughs) time I can talk to them, which is good job or my God, why did you do that? Or, you know,
2: I want a hot mic on that part.
0: I
7: want to hear what they
2: say during the credits. Great stuff. We look forward to tonight, of course, uh, Jeopardy. uh, David's final night hosting. Take a look at futures. A slew of earnings to get through. Expedia, Zynga, Zillow, Beyond Meat, Space, Yelp, along with uh, United, requiring vaccines for employees. And we're back in a minute.
3: Every day.
2: Still to come this morning, White House reaction to this morning's jobs number. We'll talk to Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. He'll join us live shortly after the opening bell. In the meantime, take a look at some of the pre-market leaders on the Dow. Won't surprise you to see the banks uh, leading the charge as the KBE is on pace for the best week since June 25th with yields on the rise. We're back in a moment.
8: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
0: Well, big changes may be on the way for the tax code. The target executives at hedge funds, venture capital funds, and private equity. Robert Frank's here to explain. Robert. Good morning, David. This is one of those loopholes that never seems
7: to die. President Biden has proposed eliminating the carried interest treatment for financial partnerships. But Democrats in the Senate now going after an even bigger loophole that is tied to carried interest, and that is deferred taxes. So along with paying a lower income tax rate on their share of profits, hedge fund and private equity partners also benefit from deferring taxes for years or even decades. This bill proposed by Senators Wyden and Sheldon Whitehouse would eliminate deferrals altogether. So these two changes together mean they would pay ordinary income rates of 40.8% on their carried interest and they would have to pay it every year. Closing the two loopholes together would raise $63 billion over 10 years compared to just $14 billion If you just close carried interest, Senator Whitehouse saying in a statement, quote, Americans have had enough of hedge fund tycoons using this special carve out to pay lower taxes than their drivers. But accountants for hedge fund managers say the changes could amount to an unfair tax on unrealized capital gains. That would be the first ever for the tax code. And because partners need to sell some of their investments or could have to sell some of their investments to pay those taxes every year it could actually lower the value of the funds and maybe even impact outside investors as well so guys guaranteed
0: there will be a fight over this there always there always is now a couple of things i mean the changes in the two thousand seventeen tax bill did extend the time period, I believe. So it makes it less likely hedge funds are able to take advantage of the carried interest break as opposed to private equity, which typically does hold longer, Robert. But wouldn't just raising cap gains fix all this anyway if you were actually to do it the way I think Biden has proposed along the way to almost as high as where income taxes are? Yeah, that... You're
7: absolutely right. The Tax Custom Jobs Act extended that holding period to three years for hedge funds. But that kind of didn't matter because most of them held it for longer than that anyway. But you're absolutely right. If we make capital gains taxes equal to ordinary income at 43.8 percent, whatever it's going to be, then this eliminates carried interest in it in, altogether. So th- this is a sort of unusual proposal. I guess this assumes that maybe you're not going to get that equalization. There've been a lot of people Senator Manchin included that said, look, we're not going to raise capital gains rates to ordinary income rates. Maybe they'll go up to 28% or something in between. So this sort of supposes that you don't get there on the capital gains increase and therefore you would still have to close carried interest. And again, the real money with carried interest is not closing the loophole, but eliminating these deferrals. And you're talking about five times the amount of revenue you raise from getting rid of
0: deferrals versus just carried interest. Yeah. yeah you try getting past Steve Schwartzman. He's a one man gang, <laughs> that guy. Never going to do it. Yes, Robert, thank you. Robert Frank.
2: Uh, we're going to get the opening bell in just a couple of minutes here as we put this uh, very busy week to bed. Uh, on the jobs number, Dow futures up 115. Don't go anywhere.
3: And this demand uh, going into the summer, and there still is quite strong demand. Uh, but certainly on the edges, Delta has had an impact. It's had an impact on, uh, you know, whether it's for countries that have literally closed down, like Australia, uh, to other countries that have imposed new rules about how you cross borders, Uh, And certainly it it puts fear in the mind of of certain travelers.
2: That's Expedia CEO Peter Kern earlier on Squawk talking about the Delta variant's impact on travel. Company did post a wider than expected loss. 113 Street was looking for 65. Um, Revenue was up, but they they did talk about continued softness in international, Mm -hmm. uh, continued softness in corporate. And as he said there, uh, July has been impacted somewhat. We've seen some backwards movement in July.
4: It's been interesting because obviously we're having this gangbusters earning season in, in terms of the numbers um, for the last quarter, uh, but really a mixed picture in terms of what companies are coming out, especially consumer-facing companies are coming out and saying about potential impacts from Delta through the rest of the year and in their outlooks. Um, so we did hear that from Expedia. We also heard something similar from Beyond Meat, too, right, mm-hmm. that there's some uncertainty around Delta, also some labor issues as well that are digging the guidance for that company, too, more conservative orders from us. And the like. So it's going to be something to continue to watch as we continue to get results from companies and more CEO commentary.
0: Yeah, I continue to sort of, uh, you know, the debate around the return of business travel is is also a a theme, not just for Expedia, obviously, where corporate is important, but not as important. But uh, for the airlines and, and everything else, you know, when are we really going to start to see a robust return? Not just to the office, but executives getting on planes uh, to the extent that they once did. Very much unclear whether we'll ever really see levels like we did pre-pandemic. But certainly there's an expectation that things will continue to come back in some way.
4: When I spoke to Lockheed's now former CFO last week, one of the things that he mentioned in terms of the cost-cutting efforts at that company is that they are reducing that business Zoom, which I think also speaks to, again, with all the uncertainty around Delta, Zoom stock being up this week, too. Yep.
2: yep. It's definitely um, yesterday with BlackRock and Amazon and Microsoft and Wells pushing back their return to office, uh, companies are, are trying to adapt and stay on top of Obviously rapidly changing developments. There's the opening bell. CNBC real-time exchange. And the big board, it's AMTD International, a financial group based in Hong Kong, celebrating its second listing anniversary. At the NASDAQ, New a biopharma targeting cancer, also celebrating its recent IPO. Yeah, I know we're going to talk some Virgin Galactic in a bit. Oh, yeah. But 450 um, k you'd probably pay that, right, for, for a trip I mean, to space? I <laughs> mean,
4: if I had it lying around somewhere. <laughs> like, um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's sort of in line with what I think analysts had been anticipating in terms of the um, fact that we would see an increase in in those ticket prices. But they did announce, Space did, Virgin Galactic, on, on the earnings call last night, they did announce that those ticket sales are reopened. They even expected they could see some repeat customers at 450 $50,000. That's about double what they sold their first 600 reservations for a number of years ago. Also announcing that their next test flight is going to be a revenue generating one for the Air Force. That's going to happen late September. Uh, Then they're going to have another test flight after some refurbishments and some updates um, to the vehicles. uh, And commercial service expected to launch later next year, so Q3 of next year. So that timeline essentially slipping, which is also kind of notable since Blue Origin is already operational and is already planning on sending more paying passengers later this year. The other thing I would just note, something to keep an eye on, Boeing. It's the other name that we don't really talk about very much when it comes to commercial human spaceflight. Another black eye for this company, given the fact that they are having some technical issues with their Starliner capsule. Um, That is a program that they have taken charges on in the past. They were looking to launch it on Tuesday. That was scrubbed unclear when or if that is going to get off the ground in the coming weeks because oh. that launch window is closing rapidly, too. Yeah.
2: Um, the banks, we definitely got a hit on. Uh, Goldman 390 is just a couple bucks away now from an all-time high. JPM is going to be revisiting its uh, 50-day for the first time since July 12. You know, David, we asked Jim earlier in the week why the bank shares hadn't reacted more to the decline in yields. Was it complacency? Was it just Uh, investors being patient. If they were being patient, they're being rewarded today.
0: Yeah, they are. Uh, You know, obviously, net interest margin continues to be something the market focuses on. And when you start to see sort of uh, treasury complex decline significantly in yield, the banks typically do take a hit. They did not earlier in the week. They're all up still substantially, although after earnings, we pointed this out many times, not much. I mean, any of them reported what we would have considered to have been strong numbers. But most of the stocks in question here uh, actually went down in the days following those reports uh, Morgan, But, you know, overall, uh, it's still quite strong. Listen, Goldman Sachs shares up 47, 48 percent for the year at this point. Remember, they've got a lot of different focuses there, both on asset gathering and permits, or what they consider permanent recurring fees from, from permanent capital. And then, Marcus, we don't want to lose sight of that. I don't know if they'll pay a little more as we get to one, two, one, two, five, one, three. Mm-hmm. I know at J.P. Morgan, I think I get 0.001 maybe in my uh, in my uh, so that's great. You know, I'm really happy about that. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah, it really incentivizes uh, saving. Doesn't yes, it?
0: does really does it, it
4: does well. So financials though are still their third best sector in the S and P year to date. Energy still hanging on to gains there, though we should keep in, you know, we should note the fact that we have seen crude coming off. It's actually crude is actually on pace for its worst week since October, despite the fact that we're in the green today. Again, I think coronavirus concerns uh, and what that's going to mean to uh, future need and consumption um, of the, of those types of uh, energy products. Um, but real estate, and I know you've been all over this, David, too. I mean, real estate yeah. is having an incredibly strong year. We've been getting strong earnings reports, both on the commercial side and also, I mean, just looking at Zillow, which reported after the bell last night, too, some strong results uh, there as well on the housing front, especially as its home-flipping business really starts to take root.
2: Yeah. Actually, there were a number of uh, companies that that raised the guide. Uh, Zillow was one of them, Uh, Yelp, uh, DraftKings. But um, you're looking for Q3 revenues uh, higher, EBITDA lower, because a lot of that new business that you're talking about is going to require some investment.
4: And all of this as we continue to have lots of question marks swirl around the moratorium. Um, the eviction moratorium, which I know has been extended in a number of markets by the CDC, but as we do look at that, as we do parse through some of that economic data, jobs report, etc., what that's going to look like coming into the fall, too.
0: Um... Guys, you know, uh, one M&A transaction I'll I'll highlight this morning because it is reflective of what we've seen in what is a still very strong merger and acquisition market, not one with a lot of high profile names or large transactions, but a continued succession of deals for private equity in particular, let's Mm. call it in the four to six or so billion dollar range. This morning, Cornerstone On Demand, you can take a look at those shares, CSOD is the symbol, Um, up about 14 percent this after they agree to a take private uh, it's about a 31% premium to the unaffected closing stock price, they say, on June 1st. That's quite some time ago, but um, that was the full, first full trading day prior to when Clear Lake, the company that is taking them po- uh, private, filed a 13-D in connection with a review process that was underway. And it is a 40% premium as well to what they're calling the long-term uh, uh, last 12 months VWAP for the company. There you see it, though. Um, Carl, this company uh, is a SaaS solutions company, and they say that this transaction represents another major milestone in their amazing journey. Wow! Yes, and it's been an amazing journey. Uh, they actually had, did have some activists in there. They did sell a preferred to Silver Lake and Microsoft, I think, at some point. Adam Miller is the co-founder, but he did leave as the CEO. But he is obviously still a large shareholder and is behind this deal as well.
2: All right we got a record high on the Dow. we got a record high on the S&P. Mm. As you've uh, heard by now, hiring did rise in July, despite fears about the Delta variant. Companies trying to manage a tight labor supply. For more on the jobs number this morning, let's bring in the U.S. Secretary of Labor, uh, Marty Walsh. Mr. Secretary, good to have you again. Happy Friday.
3: Happy Friday, and thank you for having me today. And it is a good Friday for the, for the jobs number in America today.
2: It does remind me, we, we talked a few uh, months ago on a jobs Friday when the numbers were not as stellar. And the conversation was surrounding the degree to which uh, hiring was being suppressed because of unemployment benefits. You didn't think it was a factor. Uh, Is today, do you think that's a a bit of a a relief because of that?
3: Well, I don't know if that's the case, but I I definitely think that our economy is moving. Uh, Since President Biden's inauguration, we've added, he's added four million jobs to our economy. Obviously this is a good month, 943,000 jobs. An average of over eight hundred thousand for the last three months. So it shows that our economy is moving forward, and, and we certainly have work to do still. Uh, we, we're not where we were pre-pandemic yet, uh, so we have more work to do.
2: Uh, Fitch Ratings is out this morning. They they cite that same eight hundred number that you uh, you point out, the average since May. Uh, They say if we get another print of near one million, it's possible the Fed could start to view the progress being made in the labor market recovery as being substantial. I obviously won't ask you to comment on Fed policy, but uh, at what point do you think we actually are beginning to move the needle where we need to think more about uh, inflationary pressures than labor market recovery?
3: Well, I still think we have a ways to go with with the labor market and getting more people into work, so we still have more work to do here. Uh, I think that that's going to be a conversation that we'll be having probably over the next couple of months here uh, when I come back on next month and seeing what we're doing. We did see we did see earnings uh, wage growth by 4% uh, this month, uh, which is over, well, actually not this month, but over the last couple of months here, which is a good number as well. And, and we're still seeing more, we need to get more labor participation happening in the market. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to offset the, the inflation, uh, what we're seeing right now and, and look at it short term, hopefully.
4: Secretary Walsh, as we talk, do talk about more labor participation, um, based on all the data that you have at your fingertips right now, as we do see some of those enhanced unemployment benefits roll off in certain states, is that impacting the amount of people that are going back to work right now?
3: No, we haven't seen any anything that says that. Uh, I looked at those numbers before I came down on TV today just to make sure that when those numbers came. So we haven't seen any correlation yet in that. Uh, again, I think that we'll, we'll be able to see it next in next month's report a little better, uh, but, but There's no indication of that right now. We did see. uh, Sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no. So you're you're not expecting sort of a further jump in September when a lot more of these sort of pandemic related jobless benefits roll off.
3: Say that again. Sorry. You're not
0: expecting to see an additional jump up in employment when a lot of the pandemic related jobless benefits roll off.
3: I don't, know if we'll see, I don't know if we'll see a jump off because of the pandemic rolling off. I think we'll see, hopefully we'll continue this upward trend, upward mobility of increasing jobs, the economy. I mean, last month we're at, I think, 938,000. I think the, the number was revised to. This month we're at 943,000 jobs. Hopefully we'll continue to see that, that upward mobility of people getting, getting back into the workforce. Uh, we saw some gains this, this month in education, in government in hospitality, leisure, and restaurants, in manufacturing, so we've seen some other sectors now starting to see larger gains, which is good, although we did see the nursing home industry numbers go down, which is concerning, uh, concerning to me because of the CARES economy.
4: So as we see wages continue to grow right now and we see this tightness, artificial or not, in the labor market uh, around that right now, I mean, we've got borders that are closed, a lot of visas that weren't handed out again. Uh, this summer season, at least from a legal immigration standpoint. What is the Biden administration's strategy or direction on that?
3: Well, we, we worked hard this year on the H2B visas uh, to make sure we increase the cap uh, to get more workers in here uh, uh, with, the, with the visas. Uh, unfortunately, there, there's still lots of coronavirus concerns around the country, around the world. Uh, and we're, we're having conversations now to think about what's next year going to look like as far as those visa programs and, and allowing pathways in into the United States of America. Some countries are not letting people leave their country, leave their country. Some countries are, obviously have concerns. So, again, I think that we have to keep an eye on the Delta variant. We have to keep, continue to get the pandemic under control, if you will. Uh, we have to continue to encourage people to get vaccinated uh, as we continue to move forward here.
2: Finally, Mr. Secretary, on on vaccine uh, requirements, uh, United is going to require all of their workforce to be vaccinated by October. Their memo this morning reads like this. We have no greater responsibility to you and your colleagues than to ensure your safety when you're at work. And the facts are crystal clear. Everyone is safer when everyone is vaccinated. You got any problem with that?
3: No, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I know the president doesn't have a problem with that. I think that, you know, I've been encouraging, the president's been encouraging, the whole cabinet has been encouraging, quite honestly, people to get vaccinated, uh, keep yourself safe, keep your family safe, keep the people around you safe.
2: Mr. Secretary, appreciate it very much uh, on a day where jobs number was 943K, uh, much better than expectations. Thanks very much. Good to see you. Thanks Marty for having Walsh. me today. Dow's up 161. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob.
9: Hello there, Carl. Happy Friday. Uh, Seven points in the S&P. Good enough for a a new high. About two uh, basis points move in the 10 year. And of course, uh, talk about whether yields are bottom yet. But good news on the overall on the jobs report. It confirms there's still growth out there. Maybe peak growth, but we're still doing pretty well. Just take a look at the sectors. And the market's making some sense in terms of what it's doing today. So banks, obviously, are having a good day as the yields are moving up. And again, you get that debate about whether yields are at a bottom. Cyclical uh, value-oriented sectors uh, like energy and industrial stocks are doing better. And growth-oriented sectors like tech are a little bit weaker. Why is this? Well, it has to do with the dynamics of yields and what the Federal Reserve are doing. So just take a look. The key thing about the job story, as I said, is it confirms that there's still growth out there. That's what's important. So now you've got the debate about whether rates are bottoming. Remember, rates bottomed back in mid-July or so, so we've got talk about maybe bringing the Fed tapering talk back again. Uh, That's to be expected. The bottom line for stocks is this is generally positive for value sectors, a little less positive for tech sectors. Uh, The key story remains the Delta variant. The narrative is it will slow but not derail the recovery. That is still very much intact. It's not clear if we've all captured the last few days of July in terms of the jobs report and impact uh, the variant impact on jobs but it's certainly good news what we've got. In terms of the reopening stocks, if you look the travel sectors, uh, Norwegian had a very good report, very robust demand, Smaller than expected uh, loss. there. revenues were a little bit light, but it's up and carnival. You see Americans up, uh, United all moving on the upside. Uh, bank stocks uh, bottomed and not surprisingly in mid-July when rates were at their lowest levels. Uh, they've been coming off of their lows. They're going to be stronger now. And again, this is going to be the big debate now about whether or not we've bottomed in rates. Uh, people have debated this earlier in the year, and we're wrong on it. We'll see if that uh, turns around. Tech having a huge week. AMD, just terrific. Uh, moved up all during the week. A lot of debate about why. But you see, most of them are on the weak side today. But remember, Apple, Microsoft, these are all near uh, highs. NVIDIA's had an amazing year. It's near a high. So uh, to be expected a little bit when uh, you get uh, higher rates, prospects usually impact growth stocks uh, negatively. So Delta is the Remaining the wild card at this point, we're still trying to figure out what the impact is. The question is, uh, will it change consumer behavior and to what extent? Even if there is no widespread lockdowns and no one anticipates that, how much can consumer behavior change? Does the variant accelerate the peak everything story so far? Not yet. And will the vaccines be effective against other variants? And what people really want, David, is traders want some sign that the Delta variant is peaking. Unfortunately, it's just way too early to make that kind of call. David, back to you.
0: Yeah, it is, unfortunately. Bob, thank you. Bob Bassani. Well, still to come right here, DraftKings getting a lift from its quarterly results. You can see stock up 4.5%. We're going to talk to the company's CEO about the business of sports betting. But first, it is time for the Bond Report, of course, on this Jobs Friday. We've talked a bit about it, of course. You can take a look at a one-week chart of the 10-year note yield and see where we are, where we've been. Remember those lows just a few days ago, one, two as we move closer to 1.3%.
2: We're back after this. Keep your eye on Robinhood. There's an intraday as we are looking once again at 58 and change after starting the week at 35, moving to 85, and closing last night around 51. We'll keep our eye on that, one of the biggest stories of the week, just days after the IPO as Squawk on the Street comes back.
0: Uh, DraftKings shares are jumping this after reporting better than expected quarterly profits with a 26 percent increase in monthly revenue per user, prompting the company to raise its full year forecast. And the stock actually responding positively. Joining us now is DraftKings co-founder and CEO uh, Jason Robbins. And Jason, I just want to start with the NFL because you seem to get a lot of questions about that on the conference call that you just concluded. Um, You know, you talk about it being like your holiday season when you acquire the most new players and reactivate large portions of your player base. Um, but you also say that right now, you know, you want to continue to be a bit cautious about the NFL season. Why is that?
1: Well, it's just such a big sport that has such a material impact on our numbers that, you know, like uh, everything we do, we want to see a little data before we start making any sort of assumptions that. Might end up proving to be off. And um, last year, we just saw such a strong customer acquisition and activation and retention. Um, You know, everything was up last NFL season at record levels. So, you know, it's also a bit of caution saying, "Wow, that was so good. Can we really top that, or or even repeat that again?" And uh, I hope so, but we'll, we'll we'll have to see.
0: Yeah. Well, so what kind of data will you be looking at when it comes to that? I mean, is it about just everybody being back in stadiums? Is it sort of a return to normality or are there other things you're going to be looking at?
1: Well, we'll look at our data. So we pretty much know how the season's going to go after the first week or two. It's remarkably predictable. Um, You get that kind of first week or two of data and... Everything from there is pretty much, uh, at least in past years, been right on where we thought it would be. So we'll know pretty early on how things are going to look for the rest of the NFL season.
0: Right. Now, you say, of course, that uh, you've seen no discernible adverse impact from the reopening of the economy. Um, So is that going to be a new normal for you? People aren't staying home anymore, but they're still going to be continuing to uh, to do the things they were doing when they were at home on your on your platform?
1: I certainly hope so. I mean, you know, one of the nice things about the world of mobile that we live in and such a high portion of our traffic coming on the app is people have the app with them everywhere they go. So, um, you know, I think as long as we continue to provide great experiences, our customers will stick with us, and that's what we're focused on doing. But, um, you know, also the reality is that There's a lot of things that we we know are going on here, and it's hard to disentangle them between reopening, momentum in the industry, new product features that we're adding. So, um, you know, it's really hard to know what's driving what, but I think as long as we keep doing a good job with the customers, we'll keep seeing things go in the right direction.
4: Yeah. Jason, to that point, it's Morgan. I mean, we, we keep hearing that we're in early innings in terms of sports betting as more states continue to move to legalize and uh, more opportunities for business, more, more customers. But in a week where we see Caesars putting more money towards its own initiatives, everything that's going on with investments and acquisitions over at Penn, for example, as well. I mean, the landscape in general is getting more competitive, presumably greater marketing spend. What does that mean for your company?
1: Well, I think it first means that we're in a pretty exciting industry. Um, you know, people aren't investing because they don't see the large opportunity, they see it. And I think you have to expect when you're in a new industry that has a very large TAM, there will be lots of competitors going after it, and they're going to do a great job, and we're just going to have to do a better job if we want to outcompete them. I'll also note that for the last two years, we've heard very similar things each time going into NFL season wow what do you think about all this new competition emerging and we've continued to do very well against our numbers we've continued to see strong customer acquisition so um, I think we feel if we just keep doing our thing everything will work well and in many ways new competitors coming in and spending will just help grow the overall industry which is good for everybody.
4: But will your thing include increased marketing spending?
1: We're not really spending based on what our competitors are doing. We look at our own LTVs and our own desired payback periods, and we let the data do the talking. So we think that's the best way over a long period of time to build a sustainable competitive advantage, to have the best cap-to-LTV ratios and the highest scale. And so that's really what we're focusing on, continuing to build, and um, we're not going to change our strategy based on what competitors are doing.
2: Kind of along those lines, Jason. In terms of customer acquisition, I wonder where your head is right now in the amount of play money that customers have to uh, to gamble. It's it's a dynamic that we certainly watch when we think about retail participation in stocks. You know, savings rate has come down, stimulus checks are ending. Um, how does that play into the overall model?
1: Well, that's one of the things that we're looking at as potential uh, headwind, but you know, we haven't seen any adverse impact yet, so. I think that it could be a sign that there's just still a lot of room for customers to spend on our products, and we haven't really tapped that deep. So, I think if that's the case, we'll see continued momentum, and we're certainly hopeful. And we also need to just keep innovating on product. Um, you know, we're not competing just against the other gaming companies; we're competing against any discretionary entertainment spend. And I think there's a lot, uh, a lot of money in that pool. And if we can give people a better experience than any other thing they could be doing with their discretionary money, then I think more and more people will choose to spend it with us.
0: Right. Well, speaking of that, NFTs, I mean, you're talking about uh, branching into NFTs for things outside of sports. Why do you think that's a real opportunity?
1: Well, our customers, we've done some research we know have heavy overlap with the early adopters of NFTs, Um, much like any trading uh, of collectibles. You know, collectibles are a very popular thing amongst our audience. People like to, you know, buy them and Um, They like to look at, you know, what they think uh, their favorite players are, but also they like to look at uh, other things outside of sports, too. So I think giving a wide variety of choices to people in areas that, you know, like general entertainment that they, they enjoy could be a big opportunity for us. And certainly within the sports NFT space, there's loads of room to grow. And we have so many great athletes through our relationship with Autograph that are going to be on our platform with their NFTs exclusively very soon. Jason, appreciate the update. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having
0: me. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's
6: Squawk on the Street.
8: Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.